Hi freelancer, welcome to today's episode of the Freelance Blueprint. Today we're joined by Amelia, a freelance copywriter focusing on email marketing and storytelling. We talk about how she started copywriting in high school to help her parents financially. Thanks to her marketing efforts and networking skills, Amy has been able to stop cold outreach to new clients completely and now receives small leads from her email list. And she talks about how she managed to do this in today's episode. Hi, Amelia. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me. So exciting. How are you doing? Where are you calling from? I'm good, thanks. I'm calling from Romania. If I would not know anything about you, so we met through Rob's coaching program, but mm -hmm. let's say I would not know who you are, how would your best friend describe you to me? Oh, um, probably like very obsessed with her career <laughs> and um, a writer probably that's how everyone knows me as I'm a goofy person and I'm also very dramatic <laughs> maybe all these things in what sense are you dramatic um like I'm taking every situation and exaggerating it more than I should like even if it's good I exaggerate it, which is good, you know, because it makes me happier. But when things go go wrong, then it's like end of the world. Ah, okay. Yeah. Which makes you a good storyteller, I guess. So you're a copywriter specifically for email marketing. Mm -hmm. So what exactly do you do as a freelancer? So I do, I started out doing copywriting in a general sense. So I was doing uh, copy for websites, landing pages, emails. I think I even did like Facebook ads and stuff like that, which I hate. <laughs> um, and then later on, I specialized in email copywriting. And now, so I do email copywriting for personal brands. Those are like most of my clients. I also do it for e-commerce brands. But then I also specialized even more into story-based emails. And these work out really well for personal brands because, you know, uh, it helps you build that relationship with your email list. So yeah, I would say email copywriting combined with storytelling. And do you do that in English or Romanian or both? Oh, it's all in English because I've been studying English from a very young age and I was doing um, private lessons as well the entire time. So Ever since then, I've mostly been writing in English, like pretty much everything other than, of course, at school, like exams and stuff. So now if I try to write copy in Romanian, it sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same for me when I now try to speak German. I have to think about the sentences and mm -hmm. it just doesn't sound proper. It's so weird. Did you always know that you wanted to be a copywriter? Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Copywriting. So I started in high school, actually, which is kind of strange because nobody actually started in high school but I was looking for ways to make money pocket money and you know to help family with bills and stuff because we were going through a rough period at the time so I googled like how to make money online and I landed on copywriting and then I found this ad on Craigslist and if you know Craigslist that's where people put all sorts of weird ads like I need a chainsaw for something like okay <laughs> Well, and someone needed <laughs> yeah exactly and someone needed um some copy for their about page or something like that and i was like okay i don't really know what copy means but it says writing an about page so i i think i can do that and i applied i got the job somehow probably nobody else applied or something <laughs> and then i had to like google what is copywriting how do i do copywriting And I landed on a bunch of websites uh, that thought this, and that's how I I started. Yeah. 
so I didn't always know I wanted to be a copywriter, but I always knew I wanted to be a writer in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. So you applied for this job without a portfolio or anything? Oh, I didn't have anything. I think I might have had some essays from my... Oh no, that's, that's a lie. Actually, I did have a blog uh, oh. where I wrote book reviews so it was like completely unrelated but it was some sort of writing piece that i had <laughs> to showcase that hey i can write in english so oh, that's nice. what i did what motivated you to start the blog back then just like my passion for writing and obviously reading is very connected to that so i started that blog and i was communicating with authors from the united states and they were sending me books so i can promote them and stuff like that which was cool and in many ways i wish i was still doing that on the side but i was too young at the time to realize that that could have been some sort of business or whatever. Are you gonna continue that now? No, I don't think so. It's too late. Like I would have to start from scratch. I'd much rather start writing my own books. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you would have to start from scratch. You could pick up where you left off or now you have quite a big community on LinkedIn. So how did you build your community on LinkedIn and why LinkedIn? Big is relative. It's not that big compared to, you know, LinkedIn gurus or even other copywriters, but you know, It, it doesn't matter that much how many followers you have as long as you can get leads regularly, which fortunately I'm able to do. That's, that's good enough. I don't know. I've just started posting, I think, a, a year ago or something like that. I was basically taking my stories that I was sending to my email list and pasting them on, on LinkedIn. And, you know, people found them funny and they followed me because of that. And now I just post, like, client results and um, some personal stories as well because that's how I am able to differentiate and you know that's how many people differentiate themselves from other freelancers because everyone is unique and so it's like the biggest factor that helps you stand out so I do those and also like tips and tricks on copywriting hot takes on on industry tactics and stuff like that I also ghost my <laughs> LinkedIn community quite a lot <laughs> and it's because when I have a lot of work to do, I'm usually focused on completing the work and then I come back to LinkedIn, which is not necessarily a good practice, but uh, now I'm looking to hire a junior copywriter, so hopefully <laughs> nice. that will help. Yeah. So is this the first time you're going to be outsourcing? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I've, I've outsourced to a VA like when I first started but it wasn't anything regular and I didn't really know what I was doing. So now <laughs> this is going to be my proper first hire, I guess. With the VA, how did you approach hiring them and what was it for you that made you decide to hire a VA? So I was in this uh, copywriting community. They taught you how to get started with freelance copywriting and everything. And one of the suggestions the teachers had was to get a VA and have them on sales calls with you because you look more professional and all that. And I was like, cool, I'm going to get a VA. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't do anything about it other than talk about it to a friend who already had a VA and she recommended her VA and I just hired her. <laughs> okay. What task did you give them other than just taking notes on those meetings? I tried letting them uh, kind of do some of my Instagram posts. I had a different page back then and I had even bought a design, like a template and everything. So I was trying to input my copy into the design, but you know, it was 
in some places it was too long or too short, so you needed to be able to kind of edit the design at the same time, which was not really a task for a VA, and it didn't work out that well. Mm. So it was that, and then meeting notes, and then emails, just answering emails, yeah, which I could do as well because it's not like <laughs> I had a bunch of clients at that time because I had just started, mm-hmm. um, but it was just the idea of having a VA to look more professional. How do you deal with managing different clients at the moment? Like now that you're a bit busier, I see you have a wait list for your clients instead of just mm-hmm. like so that they actually wait for you to be free again. How do you manage the clients and how do you pick people from the wait list? Is it based on first come, first serve? So what's mm-hmm. your overall process when it comes to your copywriting? So for picking up clients, I select them based on how they answer the, the questions I have. Like to get on my wait list, you have to answer a few questions and I can, you know, see if they're a good fit or not. So, for example, if they're a smaller brand, they don't have an offer that has achieved product market fit, then I'm a bit hesitant to take them on. Or if they haven't like uh, sent emails to their list in like three months, but now they want to do a launch ASAP, which actually I got a lead last week who told me that and I was like, sorry, but your offer is not going to sell because your email list isn't engaged. Like, I'm happy to help you engage them, but I can't get started with the sales promotion right away. So, and, you know, they were, uh, they wanted to still do that. So I, I had to say no. So stuff like that. Now that I have a bunch of clients, I've actually kind of fired, so to say, a bunch of my old clients because, yeah, it wasn't a good fit for me anymore with my recent growth and everything. So now I have, I think, three big clients and I'm able to manage them myself, like in in a week to do all the work for them. But I do want to grow from here, obviously. So that's why I'm looking to hire and then like outsource some of the copy. Like I would do the strategy, they would write the copy and then I would make the edits and collaborate with the client and all that. Uh, So right now it's manageable, but if I want to grow, I need to... I need to start hiring. Yeah. What tips do you give someone who just heard about copywriting and wants to get into the industry? Mm, that's a good question. So first and foremost, I feel like many people get into copywriting thinking, oh, I'm going to make so much easy money. Like I just have to write some texts and that's it. It's not easy at all. And there are actually people like big brands who sell copywriting as a business opportunity that's you know easy to get into. It's not like I remember how much I was struggling and, you know, in the communities I was in and and everything, people are struggling at the beginning. Like if you're not willing to go through a couple of months where you're desperately trying to get clients and it's hard, then maybe don't get into it because you'll be disappointed. But if you like continue and don't give up and you hone your craft and you're passionate about it and, and everything, for sure, it's a very lucrative business. So that that's one thing I would say. And then you need to get into a community because doing it alone is horrible. Like I didn't join a community immediately after starting to do this because I didn't know they existed. And it was really, really scary and lonely. And once I got into that community, I was like, oh, thank God, like someone can answer my questions. And, you know, they're not always expensive. So like I know at least two communities that are, I think $100 per month, 
So that's totally worth the investment, you know, even though you might not have that money every month or whatever. I had to borrow money from my parents when I first started to get into that community, but it was worth it. Like I would say, don't don't skip on that. And then, you know, obviously hone your craft and keep learning and, and write as much as you can because you're not going to be able to learn from just reading tips and tricks. If you don't write, you're not going to get better. Absolutely. It's one thing just consuming information and feeling like you've learned it, but it's another thing actually putting it into action. What are those communities that you joined that you think are useful to join, even if it's a monthly subscription of hundreds or more? So I will always recommend this one because I think they're the best. Uh, Copy Hackers is the, like, the big brand behind it, and they have this community for freelance copywriters. It's called 10x Freelance Copywriter, <laughs> and I believe at the time it was 97 per month. They have a course to go with it as to like everything you need to do to start and grow your freelance business and then the community and then you can ask questions in the in the office hours channel where, you know, the coach, her name is Joanna Weeb and she's like, as far as I know her, is like the mother of, of conversion copywriting, right? So to get her to answer your questions like that is, is priceless. Nice. So yeah, I would say this one. For sure. Yeah, I think it's very good to join communities. And when you start as a freelancer, like you say at the beginning, you don't know about these communities. And if you don't have friends in closer circle that do something similar, it can be very confusing. How do you mm -hmm. find clients? Is what I'm doing right? Is this the standard? Am I doing too much? Am I not doing enough? How did you find those communities? Well, because I applied to that job on Craigslist, like I said. And then I googled like how do I write an about page for a website and copy hackers popped up a lot because that's what they do. They teach copywriting. So, you know, just by being in their world, I landed on the next freelance copywriter and I said, okay, I need to do this. So that's how. Um, and then, you know, being in that world, you hear about other communities and stuff like that so is it mainly online or do you also go to real life events for me it was mainly online but i think now they like copy hackers organize meetups as well in different city which is kind of cool i've never been to one but yeah i wish <laughs> the other thing i wanted to ask you i remember when every second post or basically 99% of all the posts on LinkedIn were about, have you heard of ChatGPT? Have you seen mm. this? It can write everything for you. Did yeah. you notice that there was a change in demand once ChatGPT became more available to everyone? No, actually. I have clients right now who use ChatGPT a lot. And one of them is Rob, because you know Rob. <laughs> But Rob doesn't write emails through ChatGPT. Like he would never ask ChatGPT to write an email and then use it as it is, right? Or even like just uh, just a raw email that he can then edit because it's not the same. <laughs> and maybe it will get better in the future. Sure, nobody's contesting that. Um, but for me, because I specialized in uh, story-based emails, currently and maybe like even in the future, you will not be able to get that human element in the stories that you tell. So... In my case, I was actually getting a lot more requests from like a lot more leads who wanted story based emails and stuff like that during that time. And I still do, which is kind of crazy. And now I'm like telling people start learning storytelling because <laughs> 
this is what you need to do. So yeah, I think, at least for me, I have not seen a decrease, more of an increase in demand. And yeah, I don't I don't see at least my clients at the at the size of their business of the business they have. I don't see them just outsourcing every single email communication to ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. How do you write a story? Because you don't know your client stories until you talk with them. Mm-hmm. How do you go from once you start with the client, either if it's from the wait list or maybe it's someone you want to work with, so you put them up on the list to having your first email, first story out there. What's your approach? So after I I take someone from the wait list, right, and I say, okay, I can work with you and we have a sales call, we decide we're a good fit and everything. First, I send them a client questionnaire and in that questionnaire, there are a lot of questions like, what kind of copy do you want to resemble? So if they have favorites out in the wild, like I want I want my copy to be like that or like that or a combination, that's a good indicator for the, the voice and tone and the style they want to use. And then I ask about their, their audience and their problems and stuff like that. I ask about their origin story, you know, how they founded the company. So all these things kind of give me some insights into who they are, who their audience is and so on. And then... Uh, once this is done, we get on a kickoff call. It's one hour long, and that's where I dig deeper into like individual stories from their lives and stuff like that. And if it's an ongoing commitment, like a retainer client, for example, we do regular calls, or they uh, voice memo me, "Hey, today this crazy thing happened." Then I use that to to write the email. So that's how. <laughs> cool. When you find the tonality for the brand, do you work Mm -hmm. also from brand guidelines or is it just from the examples of what they say, oh, I want to sound like this, I want to sound like that? Uh, So most people don't necessarily have brand guidelines. They are able to show me past emails that uh, someone else has written for them or that in many cases that they have written because some of them have never outsourced before so I use that or their social media posts which a lot of them do write themselves mixed with what they like from other people and then you know it's it's about testing for a while so I write one email instead of the full 15 email sequence let's say and I'm like cool what do you like about the tone here what do you not like we iterate and then we use that moving forward how is it for you to context switch between clients because I assume in one email, you have to sound like Rob, for example. In another one, you might have to sound like someone who's very different to Rob. How do you get into the copywriting voice? Mm-hmm. And do you bulk batch the emails with one tonality? Or is it like what you said now, you just do one, see how it goes and then adjust? So I write in batches. So I would write all the emails for one client and then move on to the other client and I don't know it's just a switch in my brain that says okay now we're writing in this other voice and actually fortunately they haven't been too different like obviously they are different people but I've worked with a lot of men and they tend to have similar voices in like more serious more to the point but you know and then if I have if I'm working with a female client they are usually a bit more like enthusiastic and more um more friendlier I guess so then the difference is so steep that you can easily just fall into the other one without like confusing things it's interesting that you get a lot of male clients why do you think that is I have no idea honestly but you know doesn't matter to me (laughs) as long as they like stories I'm I'm older for it so where do you get your clients so you started with Craigslist and (laughs) 
how long have you been looking for clients on Craigslist before you went onto other platforms? Oh, that was the only client I got okay. from Craigslist. <laughs> I probably would have looked for more clients there, but I don't think I've seen anyone else requesting copywriting services there. So I think after that, I just moved on to Upwork and I started getting clients there. And then being in those copywriting communities, I remember my first week of joining, I landed my biggest client that far. Uh, I think it was like $1,200 or something like that. What did that include? Just writing a bunch of emails, which was new to me because I had been writing more general copywriting by that point. So just going into emails, I think that's what made me specialize as well. So I was like, okay, people want emails, I'm going to do emails. <laughs> it was just talking to people in the community. And then it just kind of became a thing of, I started networking a lot, but not necessarily with the intention of getting clients. I was just very interested in growing my business in whatever way possible, like making connections with people and so on. I would say this is the number one thing that has brought me clients and very good clients. The other thing is LinkedIn. I, I get regular leads from there, not that many. So, you know, I see some people, they're like, oh, I've got 10 leads this month. That's not the case for me. But even, you know, two or three per month for me is enough because I have leads coming from referrals and connections and stuff like that. So yeah, these are the main big sources. What do you think of the medium of emails on itself? I remember when I started design, it was actually by accident. So I applied what I thought was a copywriting internship. And mm. then we just talked about copywriting, actually. I used to write copy when I was still in Austria for oh, cool. an advertising agency. Mm -hmm. And so it was like McDonald's, T-Mobile, so it was like super nice brands to write for. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to the UK and I wanted to do copy there. But because it wasn't my first language, I kind of struggled. So I got that internship, which I thought was copywriting. But then it was design and it was emails. And so it was easy because in email marketing, you can just do like... Yeah. picture, text, one column, two columns, maybe three. So very, very simple. And I remember so many people back then would be like, ah, oh, nobody reads newsletters. It's all spam. It's all this and that. But the agency that I worked for, they were all about email marketing. They did marketing for Debenhams, which I think they didn't survive COVID. It was like in the UK, like this big, mm -hmm. they would have malls and stuff like that. And TalkTalk, which is like a mm -hmm. phone I provider. know them. Ah, okay. Yeah, so they would do email marketing for them. And I remembered that they would say email is the best tool for everything because that's how you sell. Mm -hmm. How do you think compared to social media and other things that people consume? Because I'm not sure if email is like a social media in a way it is social, mm -hmm. depending on how you write those emails. But yeah, what's your view on emails? Yeah, so email is for sure, in my opinion, like the most profitable medium. Social media is too, but you don't own social media, right? So that's the danger always with it. Like if you have a million followers, right? And then, and this has, has happened before. Your page, I don't know, Instagram no longer wants to have you there for whatever reason, because you violated some, some BS policy or whatever. And then you try to get your account back and, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But if you can't, you have put in all that work to grow your audience there, but you have nothing of your own, right? Those customers you can never reach again. Whereas if you build an email list, you take all those people from social media, get their email addresses, you have their email addresses for as long as they want to stay subscribed to you. If you do a good job, hopefully like forever. 
Um, so you can use that, you know, even if in the future you want to start a completely different business, obviously depending on how you structure your brand. If you're a personal brand, you can use those email addresses for multiple businesses perhaps. So yeah, I would say from that point of view, it's uh, indispensable to grow an email list. And also in many cases, there's less competition on email because for example, not every copywriter out there has an email list, but maybe every copywriter out there has a LinkedIn page or an Instagram page or whatever. It's, it's easier to stand out in someone's inbox and sell your offers and services and whatnot. So yeah, from those points of view, email is, is king. What would you tell someone if they would start a newsletter by themselves and they're not ready mm -hmm. yet to hire someone to do the email marketing, like the email copywriting for them? Mm -hmm. What tips would you give them to start their email list? So I would say have a lead magnet, a reason why people should join your list, unless you have already uh, built up your brand to a point where I don't know, maybe you've done something crazy <laughs> and there are people who do all these sorts of challenges like, I don't know, I traded one coin for $5,000, whatever, something like that, uh, that's recognizable and catchy and people want to learn more about you. You can go that, that route or you can do what everyone does and just create a good lead magnet and people will join your list. And once they're on your list, just have a simple welcome sequence it doesn't have to be complicated you can just have one email that you know tells them a bit more about who you are and what they can expect from being on your list and then maybe another email where you ask people to reply to your email with an answer to a simple question and you do this because you want to decrease the risk of your emails landing in the spam folder obviously people have welcome sequences up to 14 emails or even 30 but you know that's going overboard if you're just starting out two emails is perfect and then just send emails regularly <laughs> at least once a week maybe like two to three times a week preferably some people do it daily and in those emails you want to tell stories from your life you know from your business always tie them back to your business and what you do online and have have a call to action where you sell something because you don't want to give people the impression that you're not going to sell them something on the email list. Because then when you do sell, they're going to be like, oh, you sold out. Look at you promoting all the time. But, you know, it's a business and they need to get that. But obviously in regular newsletters, you want to do soft selling. So not like, get this right now, 50% off. Not that so sort of language. More like, if you need more help, you can go here sort mm -hmm. of thing. And then when you have like bigger promotions, you can do more aggressive emails, like email even every day or whatever, whatever works for your type of email list and your business. But yeah, I would say in a nutshell, those, those tips should, should be good enough to get a good head start, basically. For those listeners who don't know what a lead magnet is, could you describe what a good lead magnet would be and how to start it? Yeah. So. A lead magnet is basically a free resource of whatever kind. So it can be a video, a PDF, a anything that you want to share with your audience. That's, you know, catchy enough for them to want it in exchange for their email address. So when they sign up to your list, they receive the lead magnet. And I would say like the biggest thing here to keep in mind is to create the lead magnet 
based on the product that you know you're going to be selling later on. So for me, my lead magnet is about like how to write irresistible emails with storytelling elements and whatnot. And then once you get on my list, you can buy a storytelling workshop. So it's more in-depth and more, more lessons basically and demonstrations and all that stuff. So the lead magnet is kind of like a teaser for my product. And if you do it this way, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to move people through the funnel so they buy your offers. Tell me about the workshop. It is, is it a live session or is it a pre-recorded video? So I did this last summer. I think it, it was a live workshop at the time. Now I'm just selling the recording, but it is structured like a course. So it's not just a one hour recording. It's actually like half of it is... You know, there are lessons on storytelling and examples and stuff like that. And then the other half is me writing an email live, like people were live watching me. And now I'm selling the recording of that alongside the, the lessons. I actually want to update it and maybe even redo it. I just haven't had the time yet. But yeah, it was my first product. So, you know, it's there. <laughs> cool. I'm going to have a look later. So you now, are you already a full-time freelancer or... Do you still have a job somewhere? Oh, I've been uh, doing it full time for two years, I think. All right. So okay, cool. definitely this is all I do. <laughs> it takes up most of my time anyway. So yeah. How did you transition from that first initial Craigslist job and now you're full time earning enough money to sustain yourself, probably more mm -hmm. than you need mm -hmm. to just sustain yourself as a copywriter? How did you get from that girl at high school mm -hmm. to where you are now? So what was the journey? It was going well with freelancing in high school. I was making, I think, some months, even more than my mom, who had, you know, like a full-time job. But, you know, salaries in Romania are not, are not that big. Your clients from Romania or from abroad? No, from abroad. That's why okay. I could make more money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I quit. <laughs> Yeah, because I thought, you know, this was just a way to make pocket money and I needed to get serious and go to university and get a job and all that stuff. So I went to university in the UK, so I left Romania. And then I worked all sorts of jobs there to support myself, like I was waitressing and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't continue freelancing because... You know, once you stop and like a, a year or more goes by, a lot of things change. And what changed in that time frame was that more people had started doing it. It was a lot harder to get clients and I had no idea how, basically. So I was like, okay, I guess time to do something else. Aww. So yeah, I, I was babysitting, <laughs> uh, waitressing, like I had a lot of jobs in that time. And then... I had a sandwich year at my university, which basically means that you can do an internship for an year at a big company and then come back to finish your last year of university, all part of the of the program, basically. So I went at a tech company and I had, I was called a creative campaign support, which basically meant that I was doing email marketing, just not the way <laughs> I was expecting because all I had to do was copy and paste the copy and paste it into the HTML of the email and oh. make sure that there are no mistakes and, and whatnot. So I was not a copywriter for sure. Later mm. on, I actually, um, I got to do some cool stuff as well, which I'm grateful for. But initially, that's what I was doing. And then slowly, I was looking back into freelancing 
and realized, okay, maybe I can still do this. And then I finished my last year of university. And in the meantime, I was researching how to get clients and all this stuff. So as soon as university ended, I started my, my business again. In the first year, it wasn't, it wasn't that eventful for sure, because I was still struggling to make it work. And I was, um, yeah, no, actually I started part-time as I was finishing my university degree. So that's when things were really slow. And then once I finished uni, I took it full time and yeah, I saw a lot more growth. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Nice. When you went from, like when you said you were struggling, do you think it was because you were still doing part-time university stuff mm -hmm. or was there something else that happened that helped you kickstart your freelance career? So definitely doing uni at the same time was difficult because um, it was the last year we had a lot of exams and courseworks and stuff like that and I still didn't know if I could do freelancing so I did want to get you know good grades and everything to increase my chances of getting a job but I think the other part of it was just not knowing not having a lot of business skills like to get on sales calls with people and even to get leads and stuff like that so that's why once I got into that copywriting community and I learned kind of like the basics then I was able to take all these things and turn up the volume on everything I had to do. So yeah, that's when things started to change. Cool. What did you study at university? Digital marketing. Oh, um, okay. And I picked it because as I was looking through the curriculum, I saw they had a copywriting module. So I was like, cool, great. Maybe I can still do this in a job or something. Unfortunately, um, that module ended up being like a one hour lesson <laughs> with, where they only taught us the basics. I remember oh, the teacher was asking like, does anyone here know what copywriting is? And I was like the only one <laughs> who raised my hand. Oh, damn. I think copywriting is such an important skill. Even just talking with clients over email, you're writing mm -hmm. copy, you make yourself sound a certain way. And there's the average email tips that for example, you haven't replied to an email for a while or it landed in your spam or whatever the reason that mm -hmm. instead of saying, oh, sorry for the rate reply, blah, 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 you can say something like, thanks for your patience. So mm -hmm. instead mm -hmm. of making you look bad, it makes the client look good because they're patient yeah. and who doesn't want to be patient, mm -hmm. things like that. So you communicate a lot through copy with clients, even like the simple LinkedIn chat. If you reply to someone's DM on Instagram or wherever it is that you communicate with people. So I find it a bit sad that they don't really teach you those type of communication skills at school. What did they teach you in that one hour lesson at university? Do you remember? I don't remember anything. So I always like to say my university degree was not so much about learning digital marketing. I felt like I already knew most of the concepts they were talking about because of my prior, you know, high school um, <laughs> entrepreneur wannabe era. But what it did help me with was just responsibility, living on my own, having that student experience where I had to make my own money. And, you know, if I wanted something, I had to work for it, which was awesome. And I wouldn't trade that, you know, like I... I would say it was worth the money that I paid for university to get that. But yeah, information-wise, it wasn't for me, I guess. I could have lived without it. You studied in the UK, you said? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me as well. So I had like I went to a school in Austria, which had a partnership with a university in England where you could join the third year. And I remember after that year in the UK, I just didn't feel challenged at all, like the stuff mm. they taught us. 
I think in this one full year, and it was the last year, so the one where you have your final exams and everything, we did yeah. as much work as we would have done in two, three months in the school that I was in Austria. And it's, yeah. and I asked some other international students as well, is it that UK school is just so simple? Or is it that maybe the school I went to in Austria was just very demanding? And a lot of them said, I feel like I'm not learning anything. I feel like the stuff that we're learning, I'm, I already know. So on that, I agree with you that the mm -hmm. stuff that you learn at university itself, you can learn online from a course. It's probably the investment from some online course of a person who's actually done that in real life, worked, for example, as five years five years as a college, yeah. so it's probably better to learn from them than going to university but then there are things that you learn at university that you don't learn outside like moving yeah. out learning your boundaries learning how far you can go to with certain things on your own Absolutely. you might be able to learn it elsewhere but it's in university when everyone else is going through it as well it's a really nice yeah, yeah. You mentioned before that there were months where you would earn more than your mom. Did mm. you contribute to the household income mm. as well? Yeah, for sure I did because uh, at the time my mom was actually very sick and my dad, he had lost his job for like two years. So we were really struggling and kind of that was the thing that prompted me to, to find work online. Obviously, they never asked me to do this or anything. But, you know, I was a teenager as well, and I maybe wanted money for things, and I felt really bad asking them knowing the situation. So I was like, okay, I'm going to find this, this job or whatever, <laughs> and I'm going to help everyone, including myself. So, yeah, I think I remember, you know, paying for, like, electrical bills or whatever. But it wasn't that much because it's Romania. <laughs> it's just that, so I was able to do, to pay from what I was earning, but because of the situation at home, my parents were, were struggling a bit. Thankfully now all those problems are gone, so everything's good, yeah. Good, but it's still remarkable that as a teenager, instead of relying on your parents to fix all those problems, you're like, okay, what can I do to not just help my parents, but also do something that I want to do, and you just take initiative. Mm. I always find it super interesting because my family isn't very business-minded. It was always like, you have to get a proper job, you have to study, you have to get your A-levels at least. Yeah, work in an office or a proper work thing. And freelancing didn't cross my mind until I moved to the UK. Do you have other people that when you were a kid that you could look up to that had their own business that inspired you to be more proactive? Or how was it like for you? So I always had this entrepreneurial fire in me, I guess. Ever since I was like, 10 probably I would do like fake restaurants in my grandma's yard and invite all the kids into our yard and then ask them for money <laughs> obviously they didn't have any money but you know I always had that in the back of my mind I don't know why it's just it really draws me in to have something going for myself and I guess growing up I did look up to my English teacher who has unfortunately passed away recently but she she's been a great role model for me. She had this tutoring business alongside her normal teaching hours at school. And, you know, everyone like in the city knew her. She was the best of the best. Everyone would go to her. So it was inspiring to see that, you know, you can do more than the traditional path we're all supposed to be walking on. So, yeah, I think she was the one because of the the size of the city I lived in, which was really small. I didn't get to see that many people doing 
different things or whatever but she lived on in the same block of flats as I was and actually my family became friends with hers and we would often meet and she would like help me go to like public speaking competitions she helped me go to the UK with my uh, uni and everything so definitely she she did point me in a in a few cool directions in this way I think it's so nice when there is someone who can guide you or mm-hmm. sees your potential and is motivating you to get out of your comfort zone. I can imagine as a kid, you wouldn't want to go to a public speaking event, but now you're probably happy that you've done that because yeah, it, yeah. if someone doesn't have that person where they can help them out, how do you find someone like that? That's a good question because I actually did find someone like that again now that I'm almost 26 and this is like a celebrity copywriter that I really admire as you know as much as other people do as well and I managed to get an internship with him which is awesome because I really do love the way he runs his business and everything he does and I want to like emulate that as much as possible for my own so the way I got it it was just a lot of relationship building prior to this so for example I was obviously like a loyal customer of his so I had bought multiple of his uh, info products but I went beyond that right so I was always applying what I was learning which is something that not many people do a lot of people just buy products and never use them but I think maybe because I really did love his brand I still do I couldn't not use it like I wanted to see what it would do for my business as well and it's always been great things, right? Then I would go and leave him a testimonial without him asking where I would say, hey, I used this and it helped me achieve this. Like, thank you so much. And just by doing that, he was featuring my testimonial on his email list like a couple of times. Then he asked my help with some, for my help with something. So like we will, we were building that relationship, you know. At that point, I think I published a blog post on copy hackers, the, the site I was talking to you about, which was a big milestone for me because they don't accept everyone, right? Nice. Um, and I, I linked back to this person's website and I was like, hey, I linked this. I know you didn't ask for this, like, but maybe it helps you. So I was doing all sorts of things to help him out as much as I could because I loved his brand again. And I want to emphasize this because it's not like when you do it with an agenda, people can tell and it's annoying. um, And you don't want to be that person who's like obvious about wanting something, right? I didn't want anything. I genuinely liked him. And now he posted up a job. Hey, I want, I'm looking for interns or whatever. Send me an email saying why I should pick you. So I did all that and I got picked, me and, and another girl who was also great. And it, it, it's a big thing, thank you. Uh, because now I get to like ask this person personally what I should do for my business. And he gives me critiques on my copy, which is like he charges so much for this if you were to do it, you know, right normally. So yeah, I guess he's my new mentor. And I got this internship just by building that relationship. So I would say do that as much as possible and I did this with a bunch of other cool people as well including Rob and a lot of amazing opportunities came from that that's why I think I'm so big on networking and just building relationship amazing yeah networking is the the big thing to do so yeah there are three questions that I always ask at the end of the podcast and one question is would you ever go back to a permanent job oh no I don't think I ever could (laughs) You know, once you see 
the possibility of doing this for yourself, it becomes kind of like a game and you know it's possible to kind of do everything you want. So I really don't see myself going back. Nice. The other question is, if you would go back in time to that girl in high school who just applied for Craigslist and got that first copywriting gig, what would you tell her? Um, that's a nice question. Um, I would tell her everything's going to be okay. Just keep trying. That, oh, that sounds so comforting even saying it now. Like Everything's going to be fine as long as you don't give up and you keep trying. Nice. I actually think if you don't give up, you've not failed. Like You're still going. It's just... You tried something and then, okay, this doesn't work out. Let's try something else. But as long as you don't give up, you haven't failed. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice thing. Yeah. I don't know when to give up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at some point, like, it's not that people don't, how do you say? I, I read somewhere that it's not about that you have to keep going just because you've done it. True. But sometimes it's also, if something doesn't work out, then you can quit. You don't have to force yourself to do something. But mm -hmm. also sometimes people quit when they're so close to the next thing. You know, like this picture that sometimes goes viral every now and then where they're digging for gold. It's like exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. And the last question, if you think five years in the future, so you would be in your 30s. Whoa. <laughs> what do you think you're... Hey, you make it sound like it's bad. I'm in my 30s, okay? <laughs> what would you... <laughs> it's actually getting a lot better. Like, I think now looking at who I was in my 20s and who I am now, I think it's getting much, much better. And people are so scared of getting old or that by 30, you have to have mm -hmm. all of these things figured out. Mm -hmm. There are so many people my age who haven't. There are people I met who are in the 40s and they tried a few things. They're divorced and like start again. You know, it's mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter how old you are and what For you sure. have achieved at that time. It's it's you learn so much about yourself and other people. It's such a beautiful thing. So don't worry about three <laughs> your age it's actually pretty nice every age is beautiful yeah absolutely so the last question so imagine you're in your 30s what do you think your future self would tell you today hmm. hopefully something along the lines of see we did it <laughs> we didn't have to stress so much we did it <laughs> what yeah. is the it Ideally, I would like to break into like multiple six figures per year, but where I don't have to work all day long <laughs> anymore. So I can work maybe two to three hours of deep work per day and that's it. And I want to do that by selling info products more than working with clients at that point in time. Now I'm happy to still do it because I am still learning and I want to you know, hone my craft as much as I can with various types of businesses and various types of copy for different people. But by that point, I think I just want to do my thing, have my email list, have some info products. Uh, and that's kind of the base of it or like all of it. <laughs> and then on the side, I would very much like to have a couple of fiction books written because I love doing that. I do it in my spare time, but you know, I have nothing like finished or whatever and also like have a way to give back to to my community and my parents my family which I, I'm still like doing in a way but not at the scale I would like to be doing it so hopefully by that time all of these pieces will be like in the right place and I'll be able to do more amazing 
Where can the listeners find out more about you? Probably on my email list, which is at kaleidocopy.com. So it's like kaleidoscope without the scope, <laughs> kaleidocopy.com. Or on my LinkedIn, where I post sometimes. <laughs> no, I, I usually post regularly. And yeah, LinkedIn and my email list for sure. Perfect. Cool. It was so nice to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. This was so much fun and uh, you're doing a fantastic job as a host. I love Aww, it. Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking with Emilia and learn more about her journey of becoming a freelancer. If you want to learn more about Emilia, sign up to her newsletter and follow her on LinkedIn. You can find the links in the show notes. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share this with anyone who you think could benefit from listening to it. That's all for me and I can't wait to have you here again next week.